So where we're at, Jesus is a superior high priest of a better covenant. And as we've been, as we looked at, particularly last week, under the law, there's, there's no assurance. Um, was it because the priests were unfaithful? Well, sometimes it were, but the priests were many times faithful in applying the law and doing the sacrifices and things, yet there was no assurance under the law. The futility was in the law itself, as, as Jason was teaching last week, that it was really by design, in a sense, the law was, uh, there was a fault, a failure in the law. And it was to point to a greater reality. Under the law, still needed access to God. They didn't provide access to God, not for everyone. Needed a cleansing of the conscience. Needed total pardon. And needed eternal redemption. These were things that the law failed to give but what it did do is it pointed to a greater reality and that's what we've been learning about in Hebrews and that's what the writer of Hebrews is revealing particularly to Jews who were still really um, tied to the law and, and many still trying to find their what they were lacking in the law and so the writer of Hebrews is pointing us to this greater reality um, the section that we're in, it's, it's really, we're really in one unified section here. And so, verses, so Hebrews 9, 11 through 28 is really one section. So the way it's been divided up, it's sort of cutting it in half. So as we look at this, we're going to be really looking at some of the verses again in earlier on in, in, uh, from verses 11 through 22. So we'll be referencing some of those again um, as we look at this. Um, and really three points that we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, Christ entered heaven itself. Christ offered himself. And Christ obtained eternal redemption. So we'll be hitting those main points. Um, but first, I thought it would be interesting to look at some of these truths. The Bible is God's truth, and so we know that it's one book of God's revelation, so we know that the truth is the truth. However, it's presented a little differently in some of the different, um, from different writers and different sections. So Hebrews is presenting it primarily, these truths primarily to uh, Jews at the time and where Paul his writings were largely to people really Gentiles and with a different mindset but as we would expect the same truth is is in every section of scripture so I thought let's look at some of what Paul had to say and look at the parallels um, and that these truths are the same and that Paul gave us, particularly in Romans. Um, some very, we'll see the parallels, but we'll also you know, be able to see maybe the different emphasis. So in the opening chapters of Romans, 
Paul is, pre- is presenting man's predicament. God's wrath is revealed. Um, Romans, Romans 1. Um, against all ungodliness and wickedness, unrighteousness. Um, God's judgment is righteous. We see that in Romans 2, 1 through 16 particularly. And then in Romans 2, 17 through 29, God, or Paul does address the Jews and talk about the Jews. And this, despite the, the benefits that they had with the law, their knowledge of the law, they were under the same judgment. They are under the same judgment. And then Romans 3.20 tells us that by the law, no one is justified. So the law, with the law, there's basically, there's this dead end of external religi- religious activity. Same truth that we've been seeing in Hebrews. And Paul lays it out well. But he teaches, he tells us, now apart from the law. And so apart from the law, although it was pointed to from the Old Testament. So someone want to read, I, whoever has Romans 3, 21 through 26. Is that Mary? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law of the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all the believers, there is no distinction. How far do I go? Through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of His divine forbearance He has passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Right, so see the, the same theme that the, the, the law couldn't do it, but what the law cannot do, Jesus did. Paul presents it in a different, different way than is presented in Hebrews, yet it's by the blood of Jesus as Without, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So it's by the blood of Jesus. And um, where Paul, where the writer of Hebrews emphasizes more the, the aspect of the new covenant and the better priest and uh, how the sacrifice is better, is complete as opposed to in the Old Testament. Paul is presenting more this, I guess, term is forensic argument. It's the justification is the big theme that Paul, that Paul emphasizes, yet the truth is the same. It's the same truth. And it's just interesting to see some of these, these parallels. And as in Hebrews, we're learning that God, all this time that in the Old Testament with this looking forward to something, looking forward to this thing, this reality that the law was but a shadow of, that God shows at this right time, and we're going to see that a a little clearer in this passage, but at the right time God provided this fullness, this thing that that was being foreshadowed and 
looking forward to in the Old Testament. So um, Romans six, or I'm sorry, Romans five six through ten. Chuck, did you have that one? So at the right time, God sent his son and so that we might be justified against the, again, that theme of Paul's justification, but justified by his blood. And then this reconciliation, the fact that we can now have access, we're brought near to God because of the blood of Jesus. So um, I just thought it would be interesting to, as we've been sort of really heavy in Hebrews and looking at these truths just to take a quick uh, as an aside look at the fact that these are these are the same truths but to see how you know in God's um, genius of his revelation how these same truths are presented to different audiences with with different emphasis yet um, the same the same truth is there and they don't conflict with each other. They reinforce each other. Um, so, so let's turn to our passage here now. And it's Hebrews. So we've, as, as I said last week, uh, we were in Hebrews 9, 11 through 22. But this sort of is a continuation of that. So Norma, would you read Hebrews 9, 23 through 28? Sins of many, will 
little fear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Thank you. So, so as we've been looking at here with the tabernacle, there were, there were the sections, the outer court, there was the inner court, there was the, and then within that there was the holy of holies, the holiest place. And not everyone had access to, particularly the holy of holies, how many people had access to that? One, and how often? <laughs> Once a, year. Once a year, right. So that's, yeah, that's not really what you would consider access to God, is it? Um, and so this was a place made by hands. It was God's design. God laid it out very specifically um, as, with a specific pattern, as we're told. But it was a... It was very incomplete, obviously. It was made, by, made with hands, but it only went so far. And, but as we looked at last week, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 12, Jesus entered a holy place, but it was the holy place. It was no longer the, the one made by hands, after a certain pattern, but it was the thing, the, the reality that was being pointed to. And verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places and not by the blood of animal sacrifice, but by his own blood. We'll look at that a little bit more specifically. But now we look over and so what is this holy place that he entered? Well, it tells us now in verse 24, specifically. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing. That's, we've been seeing that in the last, couple, last few chapters, last couple chapters anyway. But into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So, so tells us very explicitly now, what is this holy place? It's heaven itself. This is where Jesus is. And it's where Jesus came from when he came to become a man. And now Jesus has gone back into heaven itself. And specifically it tells us in now to appear in the presence of God. And even more... Tell, what does it tell us in the presence of God for what purpose or for whom in verse 24? On the intercede for us. Right, on our behalf, to, for our intercession. So, so, wow, it's not just that Jesus is now back in heaven with the Father in the holy place but he's there with a purpose. He's there on our behalf. He's there to intercede for us. And so as we, if we, you look back into um, chapter eight, verse three, it says, it's just, it's, just, it's so, <laughs> it seems repetitive as, Hebrews can seem repetitive because it's hitting the same theme for, you know, 
for chapters on end, yet he's building upon these truths and it's just layer upon layer. And so now we're sort of given an idea in chapter eight, verse three says, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest, Jesus, also to have something to offer. It's, it's a little bit of a mystery in what, at that point, what does that mean he has something to offer? Well, he offered himself, but it's just as priests are in this holy place, they have something to offer. Where, well, now it sort of comes together. What is it that he's offering? Well, in a sense, he's there interceding for us. Yeah. So the gifts that he's... Well, the earthly priest had to offer a sacrifice for himself before he could offer a sacrifice for the congregation. Exactly, yes, thank you. And we're going to lead right into that. Where Jesus doesn't because he is sinless. That's right, that's right. But there's a certain sense, too, that while he's there interceding for us, um, there's a sense that maybe, um, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but uh, some of the commentaries that I've read, I read present this, in a sense, he's offering the fruit of his sacrifice. Um, he's offering us, the redeemed, as um, the fruit of, of the sacrifice. So he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's um, presenting us to the Father. So in my mind, I'm thinking that, you know, Jesus, he died on the cross. He... He, he told the thief on the cross that tell you today you will be with me in paradise. So in my mind, I'm always thinking that Jesus now presenting to the Father the, like the first fruit of, of his sacrifice, presenting this thief on the cross saying, this guy's with me. <laughs> He's here because, you know, it's like the thief is like, why, you know, why, why are you here in heaven? Well, he said I could be here, you know. It's, it's, and Jesus is saying he's with me. Uh, just this sort of picture, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a picture. It's sort of a picture in our mind, but it's just to point to this great truth that he is there presenting us to the Father in a sense. Interesting. Well, when you use the word us, you might be a little careful of it's all those that are trusting him as Savior. Yes. That, yeah, okay, way, thank you, thank he's you. He's interceding for the world, but yes. not as much as the believers. It's those those who he redeemed, right. They're and past, so, past, present, and future. Past, present, and future, very, yeah, that's exactly right. So, those, we talked about those Old Testament saints, those believers, those who were, who, you know, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. All the believers of the Old Testament that were now covered by the blood of Jesus. They were under the blood of Jesus. So those Christ intercedes for, those who currently believe, those in this church age, those who will, who will believe, um, all of those are... Those who, those who God has called. Pardon me? Those who God has called. Yes, right, yeah. And we're actually going to see, we're going to see that we're really specifically, uh, 
brings that. But as you, Henry, as you were mentioning, the priests, when they went into this holy place to offer sacrifice, could they bring someone with them? Did they run? Could they bring someone with them? No. No. They went in alone. Uh, yeah, they went in alone. Uh, but they had to make the sacrifice they, for themselves on the outside first before they right. went in. So they went in, they came out, and then what are they doing? They're preparing for next next year's sacrifice already there. Um, there's there's that sort of a story that uh, the priest that went in, they tied a rope on his leg because of something happened. Back. Yeah. You know, nobody could go in and get him, so they had to pull him out of the rope. Right. But so Jesus, but Jesus has gone into the holy place not made with hands. He's gone in. Has he come out? So. <laughs> The whole, and of course, uh, uh, it was Moses that was supposed to somehow in a vision or something see the real one and have it, and he was supposed to duplicate that, which is that what's yeah, what's well, given yeah, he was given the specific pattern. But so they went in, they came out because they had to do it over again. Jesus has gone in to the holy place, not made with hands, heaven, and he hasn't come out because. He, he's not sacrificing anymore, but he's interceding for us. And while, while he's gone, we can be assured. We have the assurance that he's there. He's interceding for us. And then we have this assurance, as we see at the very end of our section, and we'll look at that specifically, but we have this assurance that he will return. He will come back, and we'll look at specifically why. It's not going to be for another sacrifice um, like in the old, like in the law that was required. So, there's also, so this idea of once for all then, it, we see in sections 25, or in verse 25, 26 in this section, sort of this, re this ridiculous idea of what it, this notion of Jesus offering himself repeatedly, it's, um, it sort of presents it as, this, this is a ridiculous notion. It says, nor was it, so he entered heaven itself to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So it's basically saying that, I mean, this would be ridiculous, this idea that if if um, that he would have to be sacrificing himself over and over again. If it wasn't once for all, if it wasn't his blood, then Jesus, who presented himself as a sacrifice, he'd have to be doing this over and over again. And that doesn't make sense. That's ridiculous. So it's just once for all, it was perfect. Yes, yeah, and so we see that term once for all. I mean, I'm not, I haven't counted up how many times, but it's just over and over and over again that emphasizes. Once for all time. Yeah, well, yeah, once for all time, once for all 
those who he would redeem. I mean, it was, yeah, it's complete. Yeah. And so, and so that leads us into the next point. Christ offered himself. He didn't offer, um, well, verse 12, it says, he entered heaven, what, by his own blood. And notice, if we, if we see in verse 25, it says that the priest, um, no, the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. And I think that's a significant difference. The priest went in with blood, the blood of the sacrifice that he made, not his own. Jesus entered heaven by his own blood because he was offering himself. Verse 26 then, for that he would have to, uh, but as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages, put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Jesus was both the priest offering the sacrifice and the sacrifice himself. And so, so the priest must, so show blood. So it talks about in this section that others, just talks about how blood, everything that was covered by the blood, it was sanctified by the blood. And so there had to be this, this blood, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of, of sin. But I mean, what, so what is the significance of that? Is, is there some kind of um, inherent power in the blood? I mean, what is this telling us when it, sort of a representation or symbol of the real thing that was to come down the road. Yes, that's true. But what was it when, when, so the Old Testament priests, they went in with the blood. What were they showing? Maybe one thing that maybe clarifies it a bit is the Passover lamb. The blood was applied to the post. What, what was that blood? I mean, was that... Was that magic blood that was keeping out? It was the death of the animal. Yes, it was evidence. It was testimony that the sacrifice had been made. Something died. Right, exactly, exactly. Because death is judgment for sin. So a death had been, the death had been conquered. Well, it was con ultimately this, yes, it was conquered by the, the blood, the 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 thing that was being pointed to was the blood of Jesus, which then did conquer sin. So this was evidence. So Old Testament priests, they went in, they had, they showed evidence. Obviously, God knows. He's, uh, but, but it was the, symbolically, it was the evidence that the sacrifice had been made. So this is what this blood is all about. Jesus, having made the, the perfect sacrifice in himself, then he doesn't come in with blood as evidence. He comes in by his own blood himself as the sacrifice. And that's perfect. That's the perfect sacrifice. And so that shows that the death, which is the judgment for sin, has been made. But now this was the death 
of one who did not owe this <laughs> owe this um, penalty. He right. He had no sin, so this this payment was not because of his sin. It was because of those who he would redeem our sin. So, um, so the blood. Yeah, I mean, it's just. Um, um, yeah, there's just so much. Uh, that's well, amazing. The fullness. I mean, just to understand as we've been talking about in the Old Testament, they had an idea. I mean, they knew that the sacrifices were to um, atone for sin and stuff, but that it was pointing to this this fullness of what it was pointing to. It's just so um, wonderful, so amazing, and it's brought. It's somewhat like the old story that you appear before the judge, the judge has sentenced you to maybe 10 years in a bogey. Then he jumps off the bench and says, I'll serve yeah. that guy's sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah the sentence, the no, sentence has to be... our sentence. Exactly. Our yeah, and as, you know, as we've been talking about it, a, a corrupt judge, it would be a corrupt judge who says, eh, that's okay. You know, uh, yeah, that person was, that law was broken, that person was murdered, whatever. But, you know, I'm going to be nice, and that's okay. We'll just let it go. That, that uh, judge that should be work. booted off the bench. You know, that's a corrupt judge. That's a bad judge. Um, a good judge, a righteous judge, is going to say, well, this has to be paid. This sentence has to be paid. And God has said, God has declared that it is just for the penalty to be paid, but to be paid by this perfect, through this perfect sacrifice. And so, so yeah. Um, and this was, so we see that these old, as we've been seeing, these old were a shadow merely a shadow pointing to Christ who both priest and sacrifice. So he took only himself. He had to only take himself into this Holy of Holies. Um, and so it was at the appointed time. We, we've seen there's some other places that talks about uh, at the appointed time. Um, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, we're going to look at that again in a little bit. But what, so this, looking at it, it's once for all, the sacrifice once for all. Now there's some, um, well, I guess probably most religions that, well, a lot of religions don't even deal with the idea of sin. Sin and judgment, it really isn't a part of it. Probably most religions don't. But some religious systems, and so I'm thinking of um, in Catholicism where there's the mass, the mass, you know, what is the mass symbolizing? The Eucharist, what, what's happening? Well, that's, when I read this, that's like, when I was at the church, that's what made me start questioning when they would do prepare for the sacrament, when they would start preparing for because before they used to read the bells as they were preparing for communion yeah. and then they had stopped 
And I started questioning those because I started asking and looking into things, asking questions. And finally, I found my answer was that they, the reason they rang the bells is because they were preparing for the death of Christ again. And they actually yeah. believed that that Eucharist was the body of Christ and the wine was the blood of Christ. They yeah. truly believed that. And so when I, that really started bothering me because in here it says Christ sacrificed himself once, that was it. Yeah. And when we did the, the bread and the wine, that was simply the symbolization of Christ dying on the cross for us. Right. And so when I started asking questions there at the church, they didn't like that too much. And I said, well, it's not, so that can't be the real body and the real blood because it says here. You know, and so <clears throat> that's one of the reasons. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, even within Protestantism, there's different ideas, different concepts, different theologies on, you know, the on communion, you know, and um, is it just merely a symbol? Is there something a little more deeper, more mystical happening, that kind of thing? But one thing we know it cannot be, and that is Christ sacrifice occurring <laughs> repeatedly. That just is, that, that so flies in the face of this section, um, particularly of Hebrews, but really, you know, other parts of scripture too, is, you know, so I don't want to get too much into that, but it really is a, um, taken to, you know, really the, the theology of what it is within Catholicism, it's just, it's, yeah, it is. It, it, it's so, it's really an abomination when, when it's taken in, in, you know, seeing what Scripture says about Christ and how it's emphasized, particularly here, that it was one sacrifice and it's done. And it says that he's, what did he do? What has he done? A priest would stand and sacrifice. What have we learned? What is Christ do he doesn't stand he sits he's, he's now seated at the right hand of God so it's done his work his sacrificial work is done the basic comment uh, that's why it's important that we read the word ourselves you know in your case the Holy Spirit was working you know in your your thoughts Once again, so one, so Jesus, he performed the sacrifice as the high priest 
but once for all. And I think we're going to get back to it again, but it's, uh, where is it? Well, I lost it here. The end of verse 26, for that he would suffer PV. Okay, sorry, I couldn't find. So he's, he appeared once for all at the end of the age. I knew it was in there, I just wasn't seeing it. And verse 26, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, end of the ages, I mean, what, what does that mean exactly? It's sort of, it's as, so at Hebrews, Hebrews, is, it's like, it's like a, um, it's like a, you know, a, um, like a symphony, and the symphony, you'll, they'll have like these different musical themes that are like repeated, you know, they're woven in and out, and then they have, you know, they have uh, different variations on it and stuff like that, you know, in Hebrews, we see this sort of the same thing, these themes that are just, woven in and out and then you come back to it and um, Hebrews 1 where it sort of where it introduces and you know verse 2 well 1 and 2 long ago many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and this in my mind this sort of looks back sort of repeats that same theme here he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So end of the ages in these last times, I mean, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, what are we talking about? These last days, that saying that... Uh, To these first-century uh, Christians, I mean, is it saying, "Hey, we're right here. Jesus is. We're at, we're in the last days." I mean, I don't know if that answers the question, but is it kind of like since he dealt with sin, it's like we're waiting for him to come back. But yeah. He did five minutes sacrifice. Deal with it. It's just we're waiting for his like him to go back. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's like these last days, this end of the ages. It's. I think particularly as Hebrews is saying, okay, we're, we're entering a different, a different age, a different time, because the law is now obsolete, as he's been saying. The law, as far as the sacrificial system, it's obsolete. We're now in these, this new time, this, these new, this new age where Jesus has dealt with sin. He's gone to the Father. And so now, as we'll, and we see at the, in verse 28, he will appear a second time not to deal with sin. He's not going to come back to make more sacrifices, but he's going to come back to save those, to bring home those who eagerly await for him. So I'm sure, I'm sure the first century Christians thought, well, that's going to be soon. That's going to be days, months, maybe years. They probably didn't think it was going to be 2,000 years. Wow. Um, but the second time some of them have, you know, think of that, think of the rapture, the others, because in a way he doesn't really come to, he appears in the heavens in a way we go, 
But then the second coming is more or less after the tribulation to go into yeah. the millennium. That's yeah. That's what a lot of people as the second coming. But regardless of the eschatology, we all look for his coming. Every, every generation, I think, pro probably every generation has thought, okay, this is the generation where he's coming. I mean, I think that, I, I just think, oh, it's got to be soon. But, you know, but we all anticipate, we all look forward to his coming. And that's the point here, that we, having sin has been dealt with, we don't have to, we don't have this uncertainty about what, Happening the disciples were waiting for a second coming. Exactly, yeah, every, every age. And that's right. That's, that's how we should be. We ought to be look, eagerly waiting for him, looking forward. Chris, go ahead. The ages can be so uh, thought-provoking, confusing, theologically provoking, <laughs> yeah. like because there's infinite before and infinite after. But it, it feels like, and I wonder if this is where you are too, feels like the start of those ages that he's talking about. I don't know if it's creation or if it's just the proto-meeting of Calvin, Genesis 3, uh, 15, where he's just like, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Yeah. Like, because right there is kind of like the, what? What's going to happen? And then <laughs> the ages go by and then he comes, he shows up. So that's kind of what I see with ages, and I kind of like, helps Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so whatever, yeah. I get, yeah, the first thing, and I, I had thought about this, and I, I wasn't sure where to, where to introduce this if I was, but a lot of times, I know in my, in my own mind, I can go through these truths and things like that, and this picture of Christ entering the holy place, place not with his hands, and and almost sometimes I start to think about it almost like, I don't know, symbols, metaphor. I know it's not a metaphor. I know it's real, but in my mind. And we need to realize this is reality. This is the, this is the most real of reality, these things that we're talking about. These other things were mere shadows and symbols, what were, seemed like reality. So... Um, I mean, if we want to talk about what is really real, this is stuff that is really real, um, really is going on, what happened and is happening and will happen. This is real. And so throughout, yeah, the ages, the way it divides up, you know, history sort of, re the history of redemption is divided up into this old, what was obsolete, and now this age, I mean, this is, this is the, this is the point of all, you know, in a sense, this is what all history points to, you know, this reality. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like whatever other histories are out there, those are not, those aren't pointing to the, the main thing. That's my point. This is the main thing right here. This is this is how history is defined by Jesus and and his, yeah redemption through Jesus and so um, but 
Point number three, which we better get to, is that Christ entered. Um, so Christ entered heaven itself. Christ offered himself. And Christ obtained for us eternal redemption. Um, so again, as with the Old Testament priest, it was, at most, it was good for a year, you know, the, what they were doing. Christ, it's once for all for eternal redemption. And going back again to verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of blood, goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And it's an eternal redemption. It's secure. He's, he has secured it. And so redemption, re, what, it was, what is re, redemption to redeem? What is to redeem? What does that mean? Buy back. Buy back. Yeah, buy back. Paying a price, perhaps for a ransom. Um, in the slave cultures where there were bond servants, we're not talking about human chattel, but bond servants and stuff like that, there was a redemption they were paying back and they could be redeemed they could be bought um, their debt could be paid off and then they would be redeemed out of slavery and so this then brings to the point so did Jesus so here's the question did Jesus secure he says he secured um eternal redemption did he secure the possibility of redemption did he secure for every person every man the did he make them redeemable so that they could then be redeemed they could they could come to believe in, in other words did he provide the possibility was his death opening up the possibility for anyone to be saved who would well, more or less everyone which you had to accept it. The old story goes, you know, if the president offers, you know, a prisoner a pardon, right. the pardon ain't valid unless he accepts it. What do you think, Chris? I think it's kind of like what he talked about with the Sermon on the Mount, with the narrow way. I think he provided the way that had been destined to be provided and sort of was, you know, and it was in the Old Testament. And the invitation is open, you know. Yeah. It's just, you know, with heavenly things that we can't begin to understand. Yeah. Those who will go in the gate and those who won't has been figured out at some point. I'm not even going to get into that. But yeah. the gate it's, is open and no one has excuses open. Yeah. I mean, and so what we're sort of hinting at, I mean, there is a big, the, I mean, that is a theological debate that's been going on for many, many years and um, did Jesus die um, for those who he had called to save or did he die for everyone and those and therefore the door was open for those who believe I don't the language here to me really indicates that when he died when he redeemed he redeemed those who um, those specific ones who were to be saved. And in, in verse 28, it says, uh, was it verse 28? He offered once to bear the sins of many. 
it sort of indicates that it was those specific ones who who were called who were saved but that's that the sacrifice was directed and specific and stuff that to me that's what it sort of indicates but I guess well it's sort of a touchy question but he died for all but being all-knowing he knew who yeah. would respond and who would yeah and, that, and that's true and it, it can get to the point where it might be that we're trying to cut it in a finer in a sense that's finer than what the Bible itself chooses to present because the Bible you know sort of can see it both ways no? right yeah yeah and so uh, I like I think it's I know I, I was for I, I think this is an arse uh, no not arse a um, Spurgeon um, a, a picture that he gave um, was that from our perspective here on earth we see you know we see this gate and up uh, on written above it is um, Whosoever you know come may come. So whosoever believes. Um, so we don't know. It, we're, the invitation is open to all. Once we're on that side of eternity, and we look back, it's like those who are chosen before the foundation of the earth. So we'll understand that some people, as the Bible says, God has chosen before the foundation of the earth those. Yes, but from this side, we, we can't really comprehend it that much. So we, the, the offer is to all and whoever will believe, it's open to them. Go ahead. And this is going to be later. I think you're going to get to teach the Hall of Faith. But when you get to that Hall of Faith later in this book, it's not like this person was picked for these specific reasons because of these specific circumstances. It's like this is what happened and it was kind of Yeah, they yeah. They Yeah. Yeah. And in all sorts of different circumstances, different weird things that, you know, God has brought together these circumstances for his purpose. And yeah. Um, real quick, let's. If we will, there's two, two appointments here that we see. So in verse 27. Well, there's one that's specifically and then another that's uh, implied, I guess. So what's the appointment that it talks about? I guess an appointment with two parts. <laughs> For every man. What, is this, what, is, what does every man have an appointment? Death. Death and then judgment, right. Death and judgment. Every man, and it's because of what? Sin. Because of our sin, right. So, but also, there's, there's another appointment. It wasn't something that just happened, but as a man is appointed to die, 
After that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. So that's also an appointment with two parts. Um, if we, there's a, there's a few places I won't go to them, but we know that Jesus was, this was the plan of God. This man who was appointed, I think in Acts 2, to come and to do. So this was the plan of God. Jesus was appointed to die as well. And also for what he was appointed to die for sins. Not his though, right? He was dying for the sins of many, yes. And so, and then there's another appointment. He's going to return again. He's going to come back again. This time not for sin, not to deal with sin, but to save those or to bring home those who eagerly await for him. So, so fine, I guess finally that brings us to, so what are we to do with that? Um, are we to, and I think that's the point that we're getting to here is, what do you do with that? Do we think, hey, I'm saved, okay, I'm, I'm redeemed, I'm not, I don't have to worry about hell now, so what? So I can, hey, I can go on and not, yeah, just not have to think about it, not have to worry about it. No, how are, how are we to live? Yeah. Yeah. Eagerly, we're, as those who are redeemed, we, um, that means we were purchased, right? <laughs> so, the last verse that I handed out last section, Titus 2 11 through 14, says it very well. That says it very well. Um, yeah, Chuck. When Christ of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people, Yeah, so that's that's a great passage. I, I love that passage, but it tells us what um, tells us the word to eagerly look forward to the coming of Christ again. Because why? Because He's redeemed us, and we're His own possession. We're a people of His own possession. So He redeemed us not to be saved from hell and go on and live um, however we will with that assurance. He saved us. He's redeemed us to be people of his own possession. And therefore, we have to live that way. And we, and in living that way, we eagerly look forward to his return. And um, one day, the sin which has been dealt with, as far as the, the penalty has been dealt with on the cross, one day, um, we won't have to worry about having to deal with it within whether it's our own flesh fleshly 
uh, nature that we still wrestle with sin or the sin that we see in the world. Someday we're not even have to deal with it at all. And that's, that's, that's one of the, that's the reason I look forward to his coming. One of many reasons I look forward to his coming.